Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're far enough into this series in Psalm 119 where uh, we've already heard, but we're hearing more repeated themes. And so I want to caution us against uh, temptation to think, oh, I've heard something similar to this before. I don't have to lean in as much. And I would just argue and just encourage you to say, you know what? We need to hear these truths over and over and over and over and over again. And while there are repeated themes, they're cast in new light in different sections and kind of the immediate, you know, brief context that they're found in. So there's always more for us. And so let's lean in together um, as we see what the Lord has for us today. You know, back in Exodus, in God's uh, grand uh, story of salvation, we see God acting on behalf of his people um, and for God's glory or for God's majesty or God's fame, if you will, as he delivers the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh, right? You remember they're in Egypt and <clears throat> they're slaves to the Egyptians, and to Pharaoh, to do his bidding. And, uh, and then the Lord uh, calls upon Moses to go and bring message after message, right? Remember, uh, maybe you've been like Moses before where you say something like, uh, well, Lord, I, I mean, I can barely speak and you want me to be your spokesman? Well, Lord, I, I can barely uh, think through this conversation. Well, you want me to go talk with this person about their, their life or about the things you're doing through your word or through their circumstances? You want me to go talk with them? And the Lord says to Moses, who made your mouth? Right? That's maybe God's way of saying something we might say nowadays, like, I got you. I made you. I know you. And I know what I'm calling to you, calling you to. I got you. Just obey me. Do what I'm asking you to do, and you'll see that I've got your back. Because I'm calling you to do something for your good and my glory, which means I'm going to support you in what you're going to do. But I will almost always call you beyond your level of human capacity. I will almost always call you beyond your level of human reasoning. And so as God proved himself to be faithful there, he delivers his people through the Red Sea. He gets the Israelites right where he wants them, which is where? Standing on the edge of a big, large body of water. Lots of people. Lots of responsibility for Moses and family leaders and and the, Israel, and, and, and the Egyptians are bearing down on them from behind. So what do you have? Water, the enemy. You need to turn or, or run back to the enemy, scatter sideways, and the enemy will track you down. Or in faith, when God says, take a step in, you take a step in. And you say, I believe God. Daily, I believe God. You know, my time in the words felt a little dry lately. I'm going to open it. I'm going to take a step in. Why? Because I believe God. I believe God's going to meet me here. I believe God's going to give me wisdom. I believe God's going to direct me. And through his living word, He's going to teach me, convict me, comfort me, guide me. But finally, water in front of them, 
The Egyptians coming from behind, bearing down on them. Now, God, it's your time. It's your time to shine. It's your time to act. Right? And that's where we kind of left off last week in, in verse 126. He says, it's time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. He's saying, God, I, I love your statutes. I love your law. And I'm striving with my whole heart to obey your law. Your law has been broken. Your law is being broken. It's time for you to act. Just like the Israelites standing at the Red Sea. God, it's time for you to act. Of course, God knows when it's his time, right? We don't have to inform him of it. But God acts to deliver his people. And and then Moses sings this song, Moses and the the Israelites. And and it's long. I'm just going to read three verses of it. Verses one Oh, four verses, one through three, and then verse 11. And he says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength, my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And then moving down to verse 11, and he asks, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The rhetorical answer is no one. There is no one like you, God. You're the only one. And this description of Yahweh doing wonders on behalf of his people and for his glory, his majesty, his, his fame, is where the psalmist leads us off in verse 129 as he continues when he says, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. You see the connection there? You see the word therefore? Your testimonies are wonderful, so I keep them. You're, you're right, you're true. Like the wonderful acts in, in creation. This word wonder, wonderful is grasping at glorious displays of God's creative power, God's saving and delivering power. There's plenty of examples to choose from, but we go back in time and throughout God's what we call salvation history, how God's story unfolds in his word. And we look at example after example after example. And it's good to go back in our own life and see God's faithfulness. The, the, the main difference is uh, in our own lives, we're, we're still outside of God's perfect, written, sufficient, clear word. And so there's still a lot open to interpretation by our, our minds and hearts. But when we see God provide, we can clearly look back and see, I see that the Lord provided right? We look back in in the word of God and we see perfect example after perfect example of God's provision. And he says, he says, I I see your wonderful works. Like in my life, I've seen them. I I, I remember hearing my father tell me of them and my my grandfather told me of them and my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and their stories trickled down through oral tradition as I learned and I heard of your faithfulness. There's a warning for us that I want to Uh, draw attention to here the psalmist is talking about he's testifying to the greatness of god's wonderful words as he talks about his experience of them and i alluded to this a, a, a minute ago but we need to be clear we need to be careful that we don't allow our experience to be 
in our minds uh, determining whether or not something is true or right or good. In other words, if I come in this room and I have a, a certain form of colorblindness, you, you all might come in this room and see varying shades of, of red on these chairs or maroon or wine or whatever color. <clears throat> I always wonder about those people that name colors. But people with varying degrees of colorblindness or different kinds of colorblindness come into a room like this and we experience uh, red chairs like this and I don't know much about colorblindness so I'm not going to go too far other than to say they would experience what happens in this room to be slightly different than someone without a variation of colorblindness. So their experience of coming into this room and seeing chairs that may not look like the same color of of maroon that you and I see when we look at these chairs doesn't mean these chairs are actually a different color. And so it's important for us to understand that in our own experience, our own understanding of this life, we're still, we're still uh, frail, imperfect interpreters of the world that we're in. But we look back in God's perfect word and we see perfect testimony of the perfect ways over and over again where God has delivered his people. And so we need to be careful that while we are talking about our experience of the Lord, and, and don't hear me warning to the degree where I say, no, don't talk about that. That wouldn't be true. I mean, the, the, the biblical pattern is look back, remember God's faithfulness, and then move forward in faith. However, there are times when you're seeking the Lord and you're seeking to follow the Lord, and it doesn't seem like God's providing the way he should or leading the way he should. And so you might say, well, God didn't provide for me. Oh, really? What did you do with what he did provide before you felt like he didn't provide for you? It's a fair question. I had to ask that question in my own life two or three times, I think. Many more. So our experience is not the final determiner on what's true and what's right. And so we just, we just have to be cautious, be aware of that. Our culture wrongly prioritizes experience. This is how I experience my life, therefore it's true. This is my truth. You can have your truth, but this is my truth. No, there's one truth. It's God's truth, and it flows from God, who is true. There's no expression of truth that is different from the Word of God that would hold up to the Word of God, period. God's Word is wonderful because God is wonderful, period. I used to live in Alaska in high school, and I loved living up in Alaska. And um, one of the things that uh, we do on these cold winter Alaska days, they're long, dark days, and um, <clears throat> one of the things that we'd, we'd get to do is we would go when we sometimes you would know that the northern lights were going to be out that night and sometimes you wouldn't they would just show up and you know it's not always predictable but sometimes it's it's quite predictable and so on those days when it was predictable or when they would start coming out and you would see them you know sometimes if we didn't have anything else going on or we we you know throw our plants to the wind we'd run inside because it's usually pretty cold when the northern lights are beautiful and they last a long time it's pretty cool so we would run inside and we'd 
throw our coats on and we'd get our, our sleeping, you know, our sub-zero sleeping bags and then we'd get blankets and we'd run outside and we'd lay in the snow and, you know, pull the, uh, whatever the strings are called, and all you could see is like your little eyes just looking up at the, at the sky. And sometimes it'd be, I don't know, just my family, my sisters, and maybe my parents, depending on the time of day. And sometimes it'd be several neighbors, and we'd just all kind of run together and get together, and we'd lay, just throw ourselves on the ground and all, you know, snuggle up and look at the northern lights. And we would lay there for hours. Or 12 seconds. Because it's very unpredictable. And sometimes we'd run inside and get our stuff and come back out and they'd be gone. All right, sometimes if we felt like we had a warm enough coat on, we'd just, you know, sit there and just look up and, and enjoy that view. But we, we waited in wonder, amazed by God's beautiful, powerful display. Christian, I want to encourage you to recover the wonder of loving God's word and walking in faith. Let's not try to live life so predictably that everything has to conform to our schedule or our understanding of how things ought to be done. Let's, let's wait in, in wonder. Right? He says, and this is our main idea, God's wonderful word flows from his righteous nature. We'll see that kind of in two points today. And he talks about really seven Seven truths that we'll see over these two main points. The first uh, main section is that I want to know and keep God's wonderful words. Why? And then he goes and he, he gives, uh, we're going to look at four reasons here. Because they give understanding to the simple. He's experienced that himself. He, he knows that himself. And his assessment of the accuracy of God's own account leads him to declare it. Listen. When you're talking to your friends about the Lord, do you really believe what you're talking about? Or do you think you're referring to kind of what the Christian talking points are kind of supposed to be, but you don't really, you know, you struggle with whether or not you really believe it. It's not the time to clench your fist, hunker down and try to believe harder. That's the time to confess your unbelief to the Lord. Maybe it's salvation, lack of salvation. Or maybe it's a discouraged heart. It says, you know, I, I really wrestle to believe right now. I do believe, but I'm struggling. Christian, we struggle. We struggle. Your pastor struggles. Your elders struggle. Your deacons struggle from time to time, right? We need each other to rekindle the wonder of God's majesty, his provision, his wonderful truth. He says, I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. When you think about opening up God's word, opening up God's word that because you know that it gives light, it gives understanding to the simple the unfolding of it, right? The opening of God's word and, and more so the unfolding of each layer or each way or means that God helps you to understand his word. I mean, the psalmist says, I have to have your word or I'll die. 
He pants for God's truth. What makes God's word so valuable? Just take a second and answer that question to yourself. What makes God's word so valuable? In a world of opinions and degrees and variances, God's word gives truth. Oh, we need truth. Because truth is an anchor for your soul. Truth tells you about who made you, how you were made, why you were made, for whose purpose you were made, the, the, the remedy for sin and your struggles, your, your destiny, your purpose, your significance in this world. The truth of God is the light that op- opening God's word gives confidence to make the simple understand. It's, it's like trying to read when it's sort of light out, but not light, light enough to see clearly. And then you put a flashlight on what you're trying to read. And it's like, oh, there it is. I don't have to squint so hard to see as I'm walking in this these words of this book, if you will. It enlightens. And then the second thing he says is, those who long for him or for them, meaning God's words, find grace and mercy because it's God's way. He says, turn to me, be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. As with those who love your name, as with those who love your, your ways, God's name represents all that God is and all that God does. It's a categorical description, similarly to testimonies or, or words or law. God, I love your name. Lord, I'm in the line of those who who love you and, and who follow you. I'm yours. He said, I am your servant many times over. I am yours. I am your servant. And so he believes that he's one of them. Do you? Do you believe that you're one of God's children? Do you believe, do you know, that you're not resting in your own performance? Because you'll never, you'll never do enough. You'll never do enough to where the good outweighs the bad. And you don't have to try to make yourself better before you repent. You just turn to the Lord and say, I'm not enough, Lord, but you are. And I love you. And I love your ways. I love your name. And then in verse 133 and 4, we get the third reason. He talks about how through obedience... God's word and the Lord himself, in fact, steadies our steps. He says, keep steady my steps according to your promise. God's word, God's nature, God's character. Don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. The Bible gives you guidance. What do you face today where you need guidance? What are you trying to sort out on your own where you need God's guidance? I will tell you something. A lot of times it's real simple. The Lord says, do this, live this way, or don't do this or don't live this way. I mean, it's pretty basic in a lot of ways. 
And we just complicate it. Well, I don't know if he really means that in this situation. Why not? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. This is how we're to live our life. So you believe God, or by disobeying, you show that you don't believe God. Pastor, man, now you're stepping on my toes. Sometimes it's a little bit more complex. Sometimes it takes real study, doesn't it? To really try to understand what God wants in a given situation. But I will tell you, every situation that you, every situation that you face in this world, God has addressed at least categorically in his word. And you can find the answer for what you need in God's word. Often with the help of other people. I always, always need to reach out to others and say, you know, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Here's what I'm struggling with. And I'm trying to understand what to do in this situation. And I get another perspective from somebody who also loves God's word and who holds up and values the strength and the surety and the confidence in God's word. We need one another in that. Fourth is that God is in his words. And he reveals himself to the ones who studies them. If you study God's word, God will reveal himself to you. Because they're his words, which means they're him. He says, make your face shine upon your servant. And teach me your statutes. It's like saying, Lord... Come, be gracious to me. Look look kindly on me. Give me understanding. It's an echo of the Old Testament when, in fact, it's the benediction I used last week. We use this often as a benediction. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's called the Aaronic blessing. You think of when Moses went up on the mountain to be with the Lord and he would come down and he had a veil on his face. His face was shining from the glory of the Lord. We study the Bible because we know that in the Lord and through the scriptures, we have eternal life which begins now, not just when you die. I remember in, in my college years, uh, there was, I don't know, someone who introduced me to a, a little booklet. Um, we call them booklets now because the word tract isn't really cool anymore. But, you know, it's a little booklet, you know, about five pages long. And um, I think it was called Got Life. Back when like the Got Milk commercials were all popular and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, here was the idea. We often ask people, and it's a fair question. Do you know that if you die today, that you will spend in eternity in heaven? People say yes or no, or they'll hem and haw. You kind of take the conversation from there. How do you know? What's your confidence in? But this gave, gave a different approach to the conversation, an approach that said, when you're talking with somebody and they're talking to you about their struggle, and, and they're just dealing with the garbage and difficulty of life, you just... Ask them, how are you living with that? Kind of takes them back. What, what do you mean? How am I, you know, how are you handling that? How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you live with that? 
Because a relationship with the Lord isn't just about death. It's about life. And it's about everlasting life that, that begins now for those who come to know the Lord. And in the scriptures, we have eternal life because we know the one who is eternal life. Jesus, speaking to the Jews at one point, he challenged them. And he says in verse uh, John 5, 39, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. Nobody saw that, right? In them you have eternal life. So here we have unbelieving people searching the scriptures because they think that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures at that point in history, in the scriptures they would find eternal life. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. I am eternal life. I'll just let him speak for himself. He says, It is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you don't have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Brothers, sisters, friends, when we, when we search the scriptures, we're, we're searching the scriptures to know a person, the God who's revealed himself in the word. God's word is living. It's active. Why? Because it flows from him. It is a revelation of who he is. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's wonderful words flow from his righteous nature. And I want to know, and I want to keep God's wonderful words. They're altogether righteous, verse 37, or 137. Right, he's recalling what he said earlier in verse 9, but... God's teachings are like his character. Have you ever thought about going to take a class and maybe it's a class on something important? And sometimes you go to a class and because you know that you've got a good communicator and they know the material really well, you know, and they're going to be able to convey that material and you're going to learn, you know, what you need to learn. Some classes are special classes. They're, they're really, really important to you. And you go and you find a teacher and you say, I want to go to this teacher because he, she, they embody this truth. They embody this material that I want to know. Like they could come into class every day, no materials, and they would know it because they embody it. They believe it. It's part of who they are. God's word is altogether righteous. Why? Because he is righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in faithfulness. Altogether righteous. Right. That means declared to be the most accurate, the most perfect in every instance whatever God says because it's who he is 
God's not searching the world for the best truth to bring to us. He is that truth, and he communicates that truth to us. Whatever he says is right. And I want to ask you to think, what are some areas of God's word? What are some principles of living that that you find difficult to believe in the Bible? And I want to ask you why. Why do you struggle to believe those? Why do you struggle to believe that what God says is true, what God says is right, each and every time? Don't try to answer the question now, but I'd encourage you to ask the question and then take it to the Lord in prayer to try, try to get a, a better understanding of it. Think about your situations in life. You go through life and, and you're pretty convinced you're going to make one decision and then somebody else comes along with a perspective that is very clearly not the Lord's perspective. In some instances, maybe you think, not a chance, not a chance. I'm following what the Lord says. But then our earthly emotions and feelings kind of get in the way there, and you go, well, you know, maybe I could still get what God has for me, but find a different route to get there. Right? No. No, that's why he prays, keep my feet on the path of, of righteousness for your namesake. We need to stand on God's word. I have a little rabbit trail. I really am resisting going down right now. God's words have been tested and they've been proven. Why? Because God's been tested. God's been proven to be true every time. He says in verse 140, your promise is well tried. Your servant loves it. I am small and I'm despised, yet I don't forget your precepts. I'm small. I have a a small mind. And you, you hold the universe times up infinity of wisdom. Oh, how can I try to trust my own ways when I know that your ways are infinitely right? Every one of us in this room has at least one area in our life where we are persistently trusting our own understanding of things rather than what we know God has said to be true. I'm standing in front of you as one who I can think of more than one in my life. And I don't say that lightly, by the way. What is it about that area, that idol, that thing that we love and worship and cling to, that we hold to so much, that we know? I'm not talking about areas where you're trying to understand what's the best thing to do. No, I'm talking about you know. And you're not doing it. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Repentance is worship. Psalm 32 says, oh, how blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. Why? He convicts you because he loves you. It's like a a parent. Well, it's not anything like a parent, but like when we as parents sometimes want to encourage our kids in the right way and we're like, you know, we're trying not to nag, but we want to keep putting truth before them, you know? Over and over and over, God's hand in his perfect way is, is heavy on us. Out of convicting love. Because he cares for you. Because he knows that his conviction ought to work genuine 
joy-producing conviction or repentance in your life. Your righteousness is righteous forever. And your law is true, verse 142. He's saying, I, I want to know and I want to keep God's wonderful words. Why? Because they're my delight. They are my delight because you are my delight. I would just want to ask you, do you think of your relationship with the Lord as God being your delight? Or a list of things that you got to do. I got to read my Bible. I got Listen, we all feel like that sometimes. We all feel like that sometimes. I want to challenge you to pull back and remember your first love. Pull back and remember, God, you're my delight. I love you because of who you are and because you didn't have to save me, but you did. I love you. We all know how it goes in our, our marriages. You have the wedding day. You don't remember anything about the day unless something really remarkable happens, like getting married. <laughs> but all the other stuff, I have like five memories maybe from my wedding day. Um, and only one that I really need to remember. But you know, life can get a hold of us and the people that you love the most become familiar. The Lord becomes familiar. There was a day when you as a new child of God would have said, get out of my way. I'm obeying God. Oh no, I can't go hang out tonight because I'm a new follower of God and I get to read my Bible and now it makes sense to me. So no, I'm not going to go hang out tonight. And then over time, it can dissipate. Unfortunately, the church, I would include Oak Grove in this as well as many other churches would have said this if I was preaching in any number of churches this morning. People come in and they're saved and they're so excited for Jesus and we're like, just calm down. You're killing me. You're making me feel guilty that I don't love the Lord like you seem to love the Lord right now. Just relax a little bit. Right? They've got all love. They have like zero knowledge about things of the Lord. And so we're like, just you'll just, just relax. Chill out. You'll find it doesn't always work out like that. And we sort of, you know, church them. We sort of like, this is how you behave, you know? come in and we sit down and we sing a few songs and like some people get, you know, and lift up their hands and you don't have to do, be all that. Just, just saying. We need to learn from them. We need to learn from them. He says at the end, he says, trouble and anguish, they found me out. But your commands are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I want to ask you what trouble you're in. Where is there anguish in your soul? Don't, don't try to pretend it's not there. You'll just grow to be a miserable person who is bitter at everybody else for finding joy because you are choosing to choosing to embrace the anguish of your soul. It's not always a black and white choice. I understand that. But the longer you keep it, and that doesn't mean anguish doesn't persist at times for days, weeks, months, and sometimes years. There's a, 
I mean, I call him a friend. I feel like I know him. But if I saw him and I introduced myself to him, he wouldn't know me. I just a guy I follow online, a, a follower of Christ, a blogger, and two, in fact, that have lost their children at different times. And there have been times I've read what they're writing out of their anguish. I just say, oh, God. If I ever, if you ever called me to go through a loss like this, may I be faithful like him. Many of you in this room, you've dealt with anguish for so long in your soul that it's scabbed over and it's healed some. But you know how it is sometimes. Something gets out of joint and it heals. You never have that full... Uh, I was talking with somebody this morning about range of motion. <laughs> you never quite have that full full range of motion of your faith. But you can. You can. Charles Haddon Spurgeon summarizes this way, this uh, pet text, uh, this way. I'm just going to read it talking about delighting in God's word. God's word is exquisite. Sublime. Splendid and sweet. God's word is powerful, faithful, righteous, and true. God's word is great, glorious, grand, and good. Why? Well, because in it we see God. Through it, God draws near. By means of its truth, we experience the incomparable joy of knowing him and seeing him and beholding the beauty of his infinite elegance. May we pray with the psalmist in verse 18 of this chapter. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law.